0: Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is growing the church. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon.
1: And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, this comes up from the last podcast we taped, mm-hmm. and... We sort of had more to say on the topic, but we decided to shelve it for another week, and this is that week.
0: This is that week. I'm going to dive into this controversial topic on (laughs) which I have personal opinions, Mm -hmm. and let's put that caveat out here that these are my personal opinions on what I'm speaking about. I don't speak for the the ELCA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily even totally speak for Central on this right now. Okay, okay. I'm going to speak from myself, from my research, from my studies, and from my own bias.
1: Okay, well, let's jump right in. Mm-hmm. Where are we at right now with numbers? Because growing the church is an issue because they keep talking about how religion in North America is sort of dying, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. We are the Nun Zone. We are known for the unchurched. Where are we at?
0: It depends on how you want to define, and this is the center of my like argument, okay. just to be clear.
1: How you define dying or growing?
0: Yes. Okay. And how you define success. Mm, okay. Do you define success through nickels and noses, through the amount of money that you bring in from the Sunday offering, and the number of people who show up for your major worship services? Sure. Currently, that means online. Right. For us, it does. So... A more crass way of putting that is butts and bucks. Mm -hmm. How many people in the pews and how much money in the plate. Is that how you define success of an organization? Because if you're just counting nickels and noses, if that's all you care about, then that is one metric. I'm just going to say that is one metric that we can use. The ELCA has in recent years tried to create a broader understanding of what health and vitality are. Okay. congregations, particularly speaking of what vitality is and to take it away from these metrics, which, to be fair, are super quantifiable. Mm -hmm. We can look at a congregation and say, well, our annual budget is quarter of a million dollars and our average attendance is blank on a given Sunday. Therefore, we are a large enough entity to continue to exist and be able to do what it is that we need to be able to do. And quantifiable is helpful, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're living out the kingdom's gospel. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a vital congregation. If all you are doing is striving to have the nickels and noses to be able to pay your heating bill, then are you actually growing the church? Are you actually living out the call of the gospel to make the world a better place? Or are you just maintaining the structures of the past. And a vital congregation has different kind of metrics that the ELCA is trying to quantify, but it's harder to quantify things like do you have a rich prayer life?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a little harder to come by in terms of right? coming down to specific numbers.
0: So when we talk about where are we right now as the fear is in the air that the church is dying and where are we right now, the church is changing the church in North America, whether that is, I mean, I think it's just religious practice in general and North America is shifting and changing. I would agree. And I think that institutionalized church is hitting the challenges that it should at this point in time within our culture, within our climate, within our time. And that may mean that some places are going to close or are going to have to change tremendously. For many, that will look like something is dying. Mm -hmm. We are literally... Of faith of resurrection. The entire point of our faith is that we believe that life comes on the other side of death. And yet we are so afraid of letting what has been die to see what might yet come.
1: That is absolutely true. I remember at one point Central was discussing whether or not to keep the building and mm-hmm. much discussion around the church is not a building, the church is the people. Mm-hmm. And yet, to get people to think of the concept of what that would mean without a physical building to go to, inconceivable. It was unfathomable. And it just, as it came to pass, was not the path that was chosen.
0: And we committed to holding on to the building. And what I love about what Central chose in that conversation is to say so that we could break it open for our community, to say we have this resource, not just for the members of Central, but for our entire community. And so how will we leverage it? Mm-hmm. Of course, the joke right now is not <laughs> really news. Right? It's not really a joke. It's kind of a morning that we laminate a poster saying that, and the next thing we know, we close the building down for a year and a half. So the question then. For me, I guess, is how do we understand what church growth is? How do we understand what our role is? How do we understand what vitality is? How do we learn how to value congregations that might have 15 on attendance on a Sunday morning, but who are running phenomenally robust kingdom ministries, feeding thousands of people? To quantify the work of God in numbers just through nickels and noses is such a short changing of the gospel.
1: Well, yes, but at a certain point, it's necessary to get to at least some idea of nickels and noses to be able to continue to do the rest of the work. Is it not? Or is that,
0: again, too simplistic? It's always a capacity question. How do you look at capacities then? And I think that is a super fair question. So as I say, growing the church is as much about growing the vitality of a given community of people. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to recruit new people into a space, but that does change your capacity. If you do have additional organizations or people making an organization or a cohort larger, you have more capacity to be able to do more things together. And so for me, it's less a question of how do I get new members in order to have more money in the plate, in order to do more ministry. One of the questions that I sit with is where are our stakeholders that allow us to increase our capacity? And whether or not they ever attend our Sunday worship services matters less to me than whether or not they will partner with us in doing kingdom work in changing the world, in serving our community? Do I want people to find Sunday morning worship powerful and formative and helpful? Absolutely. It is a central piece of my life and my work. It matters deeply. And within our current culture, I'm looking for stakeholders to help change the world. That's what growing the church is to me. That sounds... Ambitious and hard
1: hard at the same time. (laughs) 100%. So what do you see then in your own ministry? What have you seen in terms of the churches that you've served and where things tend to be going?
0: It's super hard. I think that part of what we're seeing is because there is a generational difference in the understanding of belonging and the importance of belonging or not belonging to organizations, I think that there is, throughout my years in ministry, less of a focus on gaining new members and getting new members in, which is super hard on older members, Mm -hmm. that I don't have a clear, streamlined new member program and that that isn't an incredible focus of my ministry. And I will say that our congregation has individuals who have been regular participants for three, five, seven years, who have chosen to never become voting members, but are very actively part of our community. And so how we view that work and how we view that open welcome, I think, is both a challenge for those who have grown up in church and have had church as a part of their life for all of their life, and a safer entry point for those for whom institutionalized church is a frightening thing. Mm -hmm. And so, as I will be doing in much of my ministry, I'm just holding the tension between the generations. Mm -hmm. And in this tipping point, right, we are in that 500-year tipping point of the church being one thing and moving towards another. And so the role of those of us in these years of ministry, I think very much is holding that tension and finding how to do it. So I'd say 10 years ago, I was developing new member programs and beautiful, chic binders. And every three months, we would have a new member Sunday and that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And now it's much more welcome. You are always welcome. You are never obligated. You have really amazing skills in this area. Would you be willing to participate in this way? If you'd like to be a voting member, you're totally welcome, but no pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a vastly, vastly different experience. It seems
1: as though, especially in this particular country, people are far more comfortable talking about spiritual things and spiritualism than religion. Do you think this is part and parcel with what we're seeing in terms of where the church is headed?
0: I think that that's a very North American thing. I think that spiritual, not religious is, I can't speak to other countries. I don't know how that has been embodied in other countries. I haven't studied that, but because of kind of the way that religion in North America has had some fascinating participation in some oppressive pieces of our history, Mm -hmm. that there are plenty of folks for whom they want to separate themselves from that oppression and they separate themselves from that oppression, but still wish to have a spiritual connection with something bigger than them. And that's where we get this large segment of our population talking about being spiritual, but not religious. Because religion in the United States has so often been equated with oppression. It's a loaded term. It's hugely loaded. Hugely loaded. So how do you then get from growing
1: the church to... The evangelical part of Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, right? How do you justify or separate or deal with those juxtapositions?
0: That goes back to my doctoral work. That redefining of the term evangelical and what does it mean to be an evangelist? In North America, our root for the term evangelism or our understanding of evangelism has very much been influenced by the presence of these colonizers, by Christopher Columbus, and Mm -hmm. how Christianity arrived in North America was very much convert or will kill you for your own good, because it's better for you to be dead than for you to worship something that is heretical. And that pressure of conversion was placed into Christianity on... North American shores from the very, very beginning. And so we begin to get things like the sinner's prayer and these techniques of, have you personally accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, then here is the prayer to pray and then we'll baptize you and you will be saved, but you will convert to this form of Christianity. So all of that is relatively new in Christian history. That's very much North American theology. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go back even to as far as Luther, right? This is all relatively new. So this conversion focus and defining evangelism as conversion numbers, that is North American. That is not Jesus. And when you take what is evangelism from our scripture, that is sharing the good news that is bringing hope to God's people. That is being known within a community and sharing what is good news for them and helping a people shift and change their worldview in order to make it such that the least have enough and those who have don't have so much that their hearts get jaded, right? That is evangelism and good news in the New Testament. And so If we can reclaim the term evangelism... Ooh,
1: that's an uphill battle.
0: (laughs) It is. It totally is. Uh But if we can reclaim what evangelism is, then it's not about nickels and noses. Evangelism is about sharing good news. It's about being healing in the world. It's about changing the world and finding different pathways forward. That grows the church in that God's people are the church, and again, it's not about nickels and noses, it's about changing and bringing the kingdom of God present in our daily lives right now, that is evangelism. That is good news. Will that bring more people to Sunday attendance in the pews of the ELCA and increase our monetary offerings and increase our tithes to the national church? Likely not. Okay. But the church will grow because God's kingdom will be growing. As I said, this is all my opinion. This is (laughs) all coming out of my Mm -hmm. research, all of those kinds of pieces. And I get excited about this stuff, but I don't get excited about limiting our vision to getting more people into the building on a Sunday morning at one address and increasing the offering in one place for one budget.
1: So how has the pandemic then affected or changed all of this, right? Because now you have computers, which can greatly increase the number of people that you can reach. And yet you also have a lot of competition for that time.
0: Totally. And it also, it shifts what connection is. It shifts what connection feels like for people. And I think that's why we so long to return to in-person services mm-hmm. because we long for that connectivity. We are created by God for connectivity. Even those of us who are introverts are connected with one another in some way. And God created us to be in community. And so we long for that. Absolutely. And while we are able to create true active real community and real worship opportunities online, there is something about physically being in the presence of one another that is sacred. And we miss that. Mm -hmm. And I will say that I think as far as evangelism goes, being the good news in a time of a pandemic, I think in some ways it has been even more about walking our walk and not just talking our talk. I think people have been watching for where are we showing up and how are we showing up in real time, in real ways within the community, even if that is mostly digitally. Are we opening our buildings back up? Are we prioritizing our own comfort and our own worship over the health and safety of community? Where are we? How are we being God's presence in this world and what does that mean? And I would say that some congregations are doing a great job of being good news through the pandemic. They're showing up in amazing ways. And I will say that some Christian gatherings have very much not been good news to people outside of the church and have been kind of the opposite of good news, have been quite harmful through the pandemic hmm Indeed, actually quite deadly. And so I would say it's a unique opportunity to really see how people walk their walk. I asked that
1: question as sort of a twofold thing in that not only is church a thing that people would go to and the shutting down and lockdown and all that, but the mental toll that the pandemic has taken in terms of people dealing with grief and loss Mm -hmm. And has that brought people in, in ways that nothing else seems to have in the past however many years? Are people seeking that kind of comfort that comes from religion, at least it used
0: to? It's a really interesting question. It made me think back to like September 11th, 2001, Mm -hmm. and how packed churches were that weekend. And in my experience, I haven't studied this So I'm not speaking as an expert here. Mm -hmm. In my experience, momentary trauma, trauma that hits once and then is done and then you begin your recovery process, gets a really fast flash of religious participation. This trauma has been prolonged Mm -hmm. trauma. We're still going through it. We're not done Mm -mm. It's still happening. We're getting into another wave of a deeper level of trauma than we've even been in over the last year and a half. And so I think that the fatigue, the depression, the maladaptive coping behaviors, all of those pieces, I think for some, they have turned to their faith. I think for some, they have turned away from faith. Mm -hmm. And I think for some, they are so exhausted They cannot even imagine where to turn right now. Mm -hmm. And so the role of the church in prolonged trauma is just to keep showing up, to be as faithful as we can, to consistency, to integrity, to authenticity, to being present and being there for the long haul and knowing that it's a long haul. This isn't just one weekend or even six months, we will be recovering from this for the next decade and to recognize that, to honor that and to create kind of that stability, that long-term marathon style training versus sprinters. Mm -hmm. Like we need some sprinters, but we also need marathon runners in this kind of work. And That's the kind of race we're running right now. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be a relay race. You need many
1: people to be able to make it through the
0: end. Yeah, it has to be. And there will be, again, it's that stakeholder image. Because to run a relay this long, not everyone is just going to look like us or be like us or like the same kind of music that we do or enjoy the same kind of coffee that we do. We have to have stakeholders from a variety of places and spaces and and worlds and opinions to be able to continue this relay of hope and recovery and presence and stamina and tenacity. It's a big deal. It's Mm long-term. And that is a different kind of church definition.
1: Very much so. Okay, that's gonna lead me to my last question. As you said earlier, there tends to be a 500 year shift in mm-hmm. things. What do you see as your hope for the next 500 years?
0: That's a great question. I think that probably it's changed over the last few years and the pandemic has certainly impacted the view of this. Sure. I think the church will continue to become less and less focused in on itself, hopefully and more and more community-bound, and where the generations before us were the builders who made us these amazing structures as we face climate crisis, as we face the ongoing climate and economic crisis for future generations who won't have the kind of economic stability that we have had. I think it will be less and less about owning things and more about sharing things. And how do we learn to be like the early church in mutual aid. How do we learn to be people of the promise in being healers within the community, whatever that looks like? How can we live the good news and not just talk about it and expect people to come to us, but how do we go out and be participants in and creators of hope? And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like over the next 500 years, but we have incredible generations growing up right now. I mean, Uh if folks aren't talking to kids who are 7 to 17 right now, they are so missing out on some amazing human beings and just wondering what these world changers will be up to and how they will inevitably shift what it is to be a part of the faith of Jesus. It'll be beautiful.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about growing the church. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do
0: I. And thank you all for listening in. If you have questions about this or uh, want to argue back with me, please feel free. Reach out at podcast at org. We would love to hear from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.